Hi, this is Mike Claiborne, and thanks for listening to ClavesOnline.com. And before we go any further, I'd like for you to take a listen to one of my friends from Ameren, Illinois. He's their vice president of gas operations, Eric Kozak. <laughs> That's right, I said gas operations because they're more than just an electric company. When you think about electricity and natural gas, how many natural gas customers do you have in the state 816,000 gas customers in the state of Illinois that we serve. That's so. a big number. It is. It's a it's a big number and big responsibility. You know, we don't take that lightly, and uh, you know, it's a uh, it's a privilege to serve the customers in the state of Illinois. And our and me and my coworkers, you know, we take that very seriously. So if you think about the state of Illinois, anything but pretty much Chicago and the Chicago suburbs is served by Ameren, Illinois. And so our service territory is actually uh, 44,000 square miles. It's bigger than the state of Indiana. That's a lot of coverage, and so when you think about coverage and we think about sources of energy, most people think of Ameren, Illinois for electricity, but natural gas is a major player in what you do. Yes, it is, uh, Mike. You know, natural gas, we, you know, like you said, Ameren, a lot of people think electricity, but Ameren, Illinois is made up of three companies that all had natural gas before, and those combined companies are a top 25 gas utility in the nation. We have over 18,000 miles of pipeline throughout the state. 12 uh, storage fields and uh, 1,250 miles of transmission lines that serve our customers. That's, that's a lot of property and a lot of coverage. So give me some of the uses for natural gas and some of the things it's being used for other than maybe being on a gas grill. Yeah, so I, you know, the easiest way for me to describe that is, uh, you know, I built a house about 10, 12 years ago. So I have a gas furnace. I have a, it heats my home, obviously. I have a gas water heater. I have a natural gas dryer. I have a gas stove for cooking my food and oven. I also have a gas uh, fireplace, which also serves as a little furnace for my living room. And I have a gas grill, as you mentioned, for cooking my food. So I got six appliances in my house that run on natural gas. So you're covered with gas, or in this case, cooking with gas. Yeah, I'm you're cooking with gas, gas, right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition here on ClavesOnline.com. And with us today, one of my good friends, and we hope we're going to do this a lot more uh, my good buddy Frank Cusimano, who is a media mogul these days. Okay, you do radio, you do TV, you write. What else do you do? Uh, I carry Tony's tripod, Tony Chambers' tripod at Channel 5. That's about it. That's, that, that, yeah. Other than that, and yeah. you sample a lot of food around town. Oh, I do. Yeah, we had a great one tonight, man. We had a really good meal, and that's one of the great things. We don't have enough meals together. If we did, we'd both be 300 pounds. Oh, that limoncello, one of the <laughs> tops of all time. All right, let's talk about a few things. Uh, spring training is here. You have covered how many of these over the course of your career? Well, I haven't been to 27, but I've probably been to about 15. Mm -hmm. So, And they're all the same, by the way. They are. It's like Groundhog Day. You get there at 6.30 or 7.30. stand around and look at each other. Yeah, and you hope that uh, this will be the day that you know your first baseman talks to you, your starting pitcher talks to you. You, you have to get all 30 before you go back. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's, it's kind of a ritual where you have to pace yourself, but yet and still you only have so much time to do it. So, you know, you, you're kind of working on their time, but they need to understand this is your time and you, you need to get some things done. Absolutely. And you're rarely disappointed because, you know, they're basically good guys, but they do make you work for it. Oh, they want you to earn it. There's no oh, doubt. Yeah. Because remember, they've been away from you for three months or four months. They don't see you. And they just want you to just... I wouldn't say beg, but they certainly want to make sure that you recognize yeah. them and give them a little... Wayno, who's the nicest of them all, has been making us wait, and he knows tomorrow's my last day here for now. 
And uh, uh, producer Andy Muller's already said, if you don't come back with a really good one-on-one with Wainwright, don't come back at all. Period. <laughs> exactly. So he we told got an me an hour-long special. He told me earlier. He said, you know, I'm going to go media-free this year. And I said, you promise? Just like because <laughs> you know he loves to talk. Yeah. So you know he kind of he's trying to play about, hard to get here. Exactly. And and you know what a, what a gracious guy he is. And I want to ask you about your favorites. Uh, not because they're good interviews, because we know that's how you judge on anybody yeah, who goes to heaven. heaven. Yeah, exactly. Sound bites? Oh, but yeah, you get, you get exactly. in. You're in, man. We'll make that guy get out of line. Hey, we'll make the Pope get out of line yeah. so you can move up in front of him. But uh, who are some of your favorites that were really gentlemen or people that were really good to you in, in the business? Uh, well, I mean, first, just like good, you're, you're talking about great interviews or just great people? Great people. Uh, Isaac jumps out at me. Yeah. That uh, and just I just I loved everything about him. I love the fact that he was, you know, you almost like he'd pop a vein and bleed all over the paper. He would just let it all hang mm-hmm. out. He had some of the most thought provoking, really, really good interviews. You know what was the most uncomfortable time around him is when he and Dick weren't on the same page. Oh he yeah, Dick for me. My, you know, this is what he said. He goes, "My so-called superstar wide receiver." Exactly. And then everybody in the Rams locker room would come in and razz <laughs> Isaac. Oh, the so-called superstar <laughs> wide receiver. And you know. And, and you know what? He wasn't. He he wasn't on the field, and he wasn't healthy. Is that hamstring which right. kills everybody? It was bad. And you know, he took it personal. Oh, you yeah. know, they, they weren't on the same page, and, and I'm not sure if uh, had they not won oh. that next year, something would have happened between the two. Yeah, of them. you're right. But they're really good now. They are good. And they here's are. what I really love about Isaac: is okay when Kurt got in a couple of years ago. I remember being in Canton doing live shots, and Isaac's hustle in because you know it's a journey. It's tough mm-hmm. to get to Canton, Ohio. And Isaac went there specifically for Kurt, and he gave us this great interview. And then we watched the Warner speech. It was like 40 minutes, Mike, and no mention of Isaac, no I mention of Tory. Yeah. And there's no way you can ever excuse it. The, Kurt's a great guy. No way you can ever excuse it. And I know this August, when Isaac goes in, he's going to mention Kurt Warner. Yeah, I think th- there are two Hall of Fame speeches that I, didn't make sense to me. When Isaac, when he didn't mention Isaac Bruce, and Ted Simmons talked for a day and a half at the Cardinals Hall of Fame and never mentioned his wife. Oh, <laughs> he <laughs> you paid a price for that. <laughs> All right, I want to I want to ask you this because you've been in the business for a long time. Coach and player speak. And we were having fun with that today. We were using all the terms and all the, the analogies we've heard from coaches and players over the years. We just got to go out and work hard. And, you know, we did this, we did that. The lines that we know they're always going to say. So the question is this. Are these guys not creative with answers or are we not creative with questions? No, I think I'd blame it on them. I really would. <laughs> and I think they're all so gutless and social media is so prominent that if you say something, boom, it's all over no matter mm-hmm. what size you know, radio station or TV station you're on. And I just think they're programmed to be boring and dull and never give you any color. That's why if you get a Wainwright or a Tommy Pham, you feel like it's you know it's gold. But you want a guy that can call out somebody, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, you just just one guy yeah. that would call out somebody and could back it up. Yeah. I mean, for instance, I mean, I know he wouldn't do it, but <laughs> if if like Lane Thomas were to say, "Look, Harrison Bader hit two oh five. How am I not the starting <laughs> center fielder going in?" He'll never say it. And all these guys are saying stuff like, uh, well, you know, I'd be content to be, you know. An, uh, I just want to be on the roster. Yeah, I, yeah, I just want to play. Yeah. I just want to help yeah. the team. Yeah. No, you don't. Now, you I want to start. I want to play. You yeah. know, just like I, I tell you what's amusing is like pitchers. 
you know, all of them want to be starters, but they know they're going to go to the bullpen. They say, well, I just want to be on the team. I don't want to do anything to help the ball club. Yeah. No, I'm better than that guy. Exactly. I got better stuff than him, and there's no reason why I shouldn't be a starter. Yeah. Now, Alex Reyes is uh, is humble, and he probably should be at this stage because he hasn't pitched in years. But for Alex Reyes like to come out and say, look, I'm the straw that stirs the drink. Exactly. I was better than Jack Flaherty. I was 21, <laughs> 22, 23. I should be a starter. <laughs> we'll never get it. You know, and so the other thing is, and, and I think Mo is the best architect. It's giving you a thirty-second soundbite, and you walk away, and you get nothing out of it. Oh yeah. I mean, how many coaches and general managers have we heard over the years who want to remain diplomatic, but also want to leave the door open so they don't have to be put on the hook for any one comment that yeah. they make? I mean. Um God bless Paul Goldschmidt, who's a really smart guy and a great player and a good person and everything. Loves his wife, by the yes, way. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's a broadcast speak because when Frank justifies a person, he, he always talks about he's a loves great guy, wife. loves his wife. Yeah. You know, if he doesn't love his wife, then this guy has no shot. He, 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 aspi- he We should aspire to what he is. But I will say this is I think I interviewed him 40 times last year in the clubhouse. And I he thought, got nothing. Yeah. Got nothing. And I think that it's not because he's not a bright guy. It's just he's just, not going to give you anything. He will give another team an edge. I saw him in Arizona this year, first time back. And some local guy out there kept prodding him. He was prodding a bunch of people oh, trying to get an answer. Yeah. And Goldschmidt was sitting next to one of the players he just asked. He said, you just asked that other guy the same question. Why you think you're going to get something? And, and he kind of checked him. And it was the only time I saw Paul Goldschmidt all year kind of get a hump in his back with the media because the guy kept pushing and pushing and didn't get the answer that he wanted. He got the answer that Goldschmidt wanted to give him, and he yeah. didn't want to accept it. Yeah. and It's like I used to do that with LaRusso a little bit, and he'd say, you know, I don't care how many times you ask the question. I'm not going to give you the answer you want, so you might as well just move on to something else. Or LaRusso would say stuff like, I'd ask it because I didn't like his answer, and he'd say, did I stutter, Frank? (laughs) (laughs) Who did you have the best relationship with as far as coaches uh, were concerned? Was it LaRusso? Yeah, but no, mine have always been basketball coaches. I mean, from Soderbergh to Travis to Majerus. Uh, to Romar, who I absolutely loved. I mean, there's. I just have a bond with basketball coaches. But Larusso would be up there. See, I had I, my interesting bonding relationship was with, of all people, Rick Majerus, because the first time we met, we almost got in a fist fight. You ever hear that story? No. So I wrote a column in St. Louis American about classy building for a classless coach. Because you remember when Majerus oh, first got here article. and how he used to dump on everybody? Yeah. And I, I didn't like They're it. not my players. Yeah, I didn't right. recruit them. Exactly. They didn't recruit I me. I thought that was bull. And so I wrote it. So I get a phone call from Chris May. He says, hey, coach, would like to uh, like for you to come to his office. He's not happy about the column you wrote. And I said, well, I'm not going to his office. You want to meet me? Meet me somewhere else. So we met at uh, Vito's. <laughs> of course you did. At lunch, right? <laughs> so it's Earl, Chris May, Chuck Young, and we were all there. And so Chris is kind of like trying to lay the well, foundation. So well, Majerus, was like Henry Kissinger here? Yeah, so, he, yeah, so he's trying to lay the foundation. And so Majerus and I just kept staring at each other. I said, hey, hold on, Chris. Hold on. You got something you want to say? Yeah, I got something. You know, so now we kind of get into it. And so we're not on the same page. And so he said I was chicken shit. Okay? I can say that because it's a podcast. Oh, and that's I cool. Said, I said, you ever play golf? And he said, no. And I said, you understand what a mulligan is? He said, 
Yeah, I know what it means. I said, you just got yours because if you go there with me again, I will beat your ass all <laughs> up and down Olive Street. I said, you have messed with the wrong guy. And so now Chuck Young turns pale. Oh, Earl oh, leans back in his chair like, oh, my God. And Chris May, who I'd never met before, is like, what in the hell is about to happen? So we were going to go. I, and I was dead serious. And so cooler heads prevail. And I said, look, you and I have the same thing in common. We want the program to do well. I said, I just don't think you're respecting people who really work hard at what they're doing. From that point on, we would talk like two or three times a week about whatever. It wasn't even about basketball sometimes. And I'll never forget when they first got in the tournament, I called them and I said, hey, I just want to tell you how happy I am for you and congratulations. She said, man, we've come a long way from lunch, haven't we? <laughs> and, and we never, ever yeah. talked about that after that. And uh, but he was one of my favorite coaches to talk because he was a basketball savant and a food aficionado. Speaking of food, yeah, you you would be in that category. I don't know if you're a gold medalist compared to Majerus because he would add, order one half of the menu for an appetizer and then the other half for his meal and then what was ever left that would be dessert. What's the one food you don't like? Whew. Oh, you know what. Um, my mom, every Thanksgiving, would make this ambrosia salad that had, like, coconut in it. And she's, like, an unbelievable cook, her linguine camongolite. She's unbelievable. And she would do this. And, you know, she's 93 now, and we still joke about it today. I said, Mom, this is the worst food since your ambrosia. And she just laughs and laughs. But I remember Porter Moser talking about Majera. She said, one time we, we had a four-hour – no, it was a two-hour trip. Uh, to, to a recruit's home, and he goes. When we got to the, we got to the city, we went to Culver's, and I then love he Culver's, says, by the way. he says, and then an hour later, we ran into another Culver's, and we stopped again. <laughs> he says we stopped the two Culver's in one hour. <laughs> one time when he first came to town, he went to, um, uh, we took him to Ted Drew's. And so we got the stuff there, and then we're driving back. We're really close to the chase, and he says, "Would you mind if we go back?" <laughs> and we went back. <laughs> He, he was a beauty, uh, man. Was the best. All right, so that's the only food you won't eat. Yeah. Because I have a long list of I won't touch beets. Oh, I love beets, Alan. You really? Yeah. So my only two vegetables I like are spinach and broccoli. I mean, I eat corn, corn on the cob, yeah. but it's not one of the healthy vegetables. Uh, I don't do pork. Mm. Although I will Pulled eat pork. the pork in, uh. in calzone, the, the chemo's calzone. That's the only calzone I'll eat. And we appreciate your. Uh, but yes, a lot. I don't. I'm, I'm very finicky on eating. But you, yeah, or you, you have a cast iron stomach. You can eat anything. Yeah, I. You know, um, I grew up in that restaurant. It was a you know busboy and glass washer at age. You know, started five and and all the, the my best meals at Kemal's were not the stuff on the menu. Is that we had these these cooks, and they're all from North St. Louis. Ora Lee, and she would make fried chicken. Ora Lee, yeah, I remember her. You remember Orly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, kind of a taller woman. Yes, yeah. I remember her. Yeah, I, I I knew her. I'm trying to remember where I knew her from, but I know, I remember the name Orly. Yeah. yeah, and the meals we'd have for the just for the help on Saturdays before the rush were you better know, than the cobbler, meals you put on the table. Sweet potato. I mean, it was yeah. the best. Yeah, it was. So they had a little soul food working with the Italian oh, yeah. bill of fare there. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, so you have. Confess you will eat just about anything, so I commend you for that. All right, living or living or dead, who's the one person you still want to get to? I would love to get to Bird because I've never even been close 
to being in the same room with him. I mean, I've been with Magic and been around settings with Jordan, and Magic was really good and seen Nash been around that. But Bird's been like my all-time guy, and I've never been close Who's to him. Who's the person you melted? Uh, when you when you had a chance to Riley, talk to him. for sure. It was like thirty minute one on one. I'm thinking, God, that's a good looking tie. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I it was probably the worst interview you ever had. I, you know what? In fairness, I, I was the same way when I interviewed him, and I couldn't take my eyes off of what he had on, and it was basically casual stuff. But I thought the reason why Riley looked as he was such an impeccable dresser because everything hung well on him. Yes. Yeah, you know, right. some guys. Yeah, Michael Jordan kind of. You yeah, know? he had the square shoulders, the long neck, and everything hung well on him compared to some guys you look at. Like I never thought things hung well on Larry Brown, and he tried to. He he was similar to Pat Riley's yeah. part, but he was because it was too short. That's why I think, and you and I may have talked about this before, but if you combine the coach executive duo. That it's Red Arback two, it's right. It's Red Arback one, Riley two, and Phil three. Because Phil was such mm-hmm. a colossal bust yeah. as an executive, and Riley's been unbelievable. But I think, and as I said to you, I think it had a lot more to do with ownership compared to their ability to to manage a team, because Arback was basically yeah. the owner. Pat Riley worked for Mickey Arias, who was a billionaire, and just said, "I just want our team to compete. You tell me what you need." And then Phil Jackson has been saddled with James Dolan, who did I read somewhere they've gone through 12 coaches in eight years? Wow. That's crazy. And the reason Jerry West doesn't make the list is he's number one as an executive, but his coaching yeah, is. Yeah, but, but the thing is he has put teams together oh. as a consultant more than anything else. I mean, you think about the teams that he's touched yeah. and his fingerprints on. Well, but you know what? Now, what about the Lakers? He was a general manager then. Yeah. Oh, but I'm talking as as he was never a successful coach. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. He had that Billy Bean thing going. Remember where when he became an executive, he actually couldn't watch the games. Yeah, him, him, and Wayne around? Embry. Remember Wayne Embry with Cleveland? Yeah, he was standing extent. in the runway. How do you do that if you're the GM and you're acquiring the talent and you don't watch the game? Yeah, I, I don't get that either. Uh, that that's kind of a head scratcher, but you know Jerry West was he had those anxiety issues yeah. and his book the best ever yeah his and Andre Agassi's are the most honest books where they just you know just open what their a, heart. what a nice person I'm in in Miami a few years ago Joe Stonecrab one of the if it, like with you. If I'm going to an electric chair and they say we want one meal to be catered in, it would be Joe Stonecrab. Now is that a franchise or is that just one? It originated in Miami. There's one in Vegas and there's okay. one in Chicago now. But the one in Miami is the original. That's where Capone used to go when he would winter. In the, uh, in really? The, yeah, he would come down there for the winter. So I'm there one night with someone, and Agassi is there with Michael Chang. Steffi Graf's there. Their kids are there. And their kids were out of control. I mean, we've all seen it when we've seen people's kids. You can't <laughs> let them run. They were so out of control that he came over and he said, hey, look, I'm sorry. Our kids got a little out of control. Please accept my apology. And I was like, ah, man, we all had kids. We didn't know how to but My kids were never as bad as yours. <laughs> anyway, bottom line was when we went to pay, he'd already picked up the tab for Ooh, it. Wow. So now all of a sudden he's one of my favorite tennis <laughs> yeah. players of all time. But Bother a very, with your kids. very nice person, though, that uh, 
really let it all. He, he and he never. Guts. We, the the thing about it is he he didn't like what he did. He <coughs> no. hated tennis with every fiber in his body. Well, because I think that that's one of those individual sports where parents keep pushing and pushing yeah. and pushing. And I wonder what that burnout rate is for 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 tennis players. It's got to be pretty high. You know, you think about hockey, basketball, baseball, tennis. Those are all high burnout rates for for kids. Yeah. Because parents spend money. Golf too. Yeah, golf is another one. Uh, because parents spend so much money on lessons and coaching and training, and they want to bang for their buck, so they realize, well, if it's not the coach, it must be the kid. And then they say to themselves, I can't get on my kid because my wife's going to be upset or my husband's going to be upset. And then the kid just says, to hell with it. I want to just go do something else. Yeah. You, you hit on it uh, right in that because the parents now, unlike when we were growing up, they are involved. They have an ownership in it. They're paying these exorbitant select fees and paying for the individual coaching and training. And they want to see results, and the pressure, how it screws up a kid is bad. Now, your kids were good athletes. Um, when, when he was, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let Alex yeah. know the next time you get him on the course. But the thing is, uh, you got your kids enough instruction where they had a chance to compete and have reasonable success, but they were also smart enough to find another job to do something where they still could enjoy the sport but not feel under the pressure of having to produce to make a living at it. Yeah. I always thought like at a young age, they had to be like fundamentally good. Mm -hmm. That's like with Alex and Brooks swing, Dale Boggs at a young age, work with them. So once in golf, something, it's not that difficult. Get fundamentally perfect, you know, at age seven or eight, because it's really easy to do that when mm -hmm. you're seven or eight, and then you're set for the rest of your life. And then, you know, baseball with Dom Swing, it, we it took a little bit of time, but yeah. And then let and, and just uh, be there. Bill Miller's dad had a great um, thing about, you know, be encouraging, be available. He's got the five Bs, and that's that's just the way you got to be. And then just let them let them live their life and take their best shot. Were you the parent to talk to him about after a game? A game. See, with me, I had one rule. I never talked to him on the way home about the game. I oh, wait until the, the next home day. Is the worst time to yeah. do that. Yeah. I wait until the next day and yeah. ask him because the, the, the adrenaline is still too high on both sides of the fence. And I would never, I think one time, and I said, you know, I kind of want them to be able to talk to me when they get older, you know, because kids will yeah. shut you down. For good. Yeah. So I stopped and I never brought it up. Uh, when they were playing, I would ask them the next day, hey, let me ask you, how, what, were, what, what were you guys trying to do on that last play or whatever compared to say, how could you miss that shot? You had a person up. I never did that because, you know, they already felt under the gun. And my kids went to a school where basketball was first and foremost. So it wasn't a situation where they were dealing with that, and now they got to hear it from home. I, I just felt I couldn't do it. Yeah, I think um, as they get older, and I don't know what the exact age is, you go from a parent to kind of an advisor mm -hmm. and sometimes a removed advisor. But I think that's like the only way to handle it. Coach Grower, uh, when Brian, who probably was the best He was the best, the Grouse, period. Yeah. yeah. And he was unbelievable at Pattonville. But he – Coach got to see all of his games, unlike with the others, because he was always coaching. And so when Brian would come home on a Tuesday night or a Friday night after a game, Coach would put uh, a detailed 
a thing, you know, <laughs> a list of, of what he all, liked or what he did. Yeah. And it was, he says, I didn't never said a word to him about it because it was Brian's option to read it or not. And I'm sure Brian he read found it. it in a trash can. The next <laughs> yeah. day. You yeah. know, he went to New York with us when the NIT and he was a pup and he was knocking down threes on Madison Square Garden floor. And I'm saying to myself, gosh, he's got to be the best grower in the family. And he yeah. turned out to be that. But. Now, Kevin had the vertical. Remember how he went to oh, Tulsa yeah, to play for right. Tubby? Yeah, like, what yeah. the heck? You're a 5'11 white guy and you got your elbow on the rim? How did that happen? And they said it was because, I don't know if you remember this machine, the Leaper, where it would actually help vertical jump. Yeah, it's kind of like a squat yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it screwed up a lot of backs and knees, but it made Kevin an he made him a Leaper. He yeah. made him jump out of the gym. All right, before we get out of here. You've been in sports all your life. This is something you wanted to do growing up. Um, two questions. When did you know this is what you wanted to do? And B, uh, what's the most overrated and underrated thing you've learned about sports? Okay. Uh, I knew at like age six because at Our Lady of the Pillar, they asked us to put uh, like a little pictorial thing of what we wanted to do. And I put a picture of my dad, Kemal's restaurant, and then I put sportscasters, and I said, I'm going to do one of these too. And I was memorizing quarterbacks at age six, so I knew. And besides, my brothers wouldn't let me in the business. They wouldn't let anyway. you in the restaurant yeah, exactly. business. The, the pie is only so big, they said, and you're biggest, too late to the Biggest party. impact on you, other than Nick Charles, because I know you were a huge Nick Charles fan. God rest his soul. Uh, and I got to know him a little bit, but uh, who else had an impact on you as far as growing up outside of St. Louis? Because you listened to KMOX like I did, and there were so many people on there that we kind of thought were really cool. But who else from a well, national kind perspective? Of like, you know, I've always liked Costas, and you and I are both yeah. friends with him and stuff. And just seeing him on the air, it's, it's almost like when you try to – that's like Michael Jordan. I mean, he has the same type of natural skills – it's like impossible to compare anybody to. You know what? Michael Jordan once told me that you can measure my greatness if you want to. He said it's only because I worked harder at accentuating the fundamentals. Yeah. You know? I mean, You're right. he was I a mean, great he, passer. He ran the floor. He knew where to be on defense. He knew how to play defense. And then he had the gift physically to really six, take six crazy yeah, vertical exactly but the other things there's a lot of six six guys with vertical yeah that fundamentally aren't as good as he was well there's three things that make you great your in, your intensity and your heart and he was a 10 your um athleticism he was a 10 and then he this is what you're referring to is he maxed out skill wise yeah i mean nobody's that's insane i mean lebron is really great but i'll take michael i'll take kareem all See, time Oh, yeah. 38,000 points. Yeah, he's, he's the most unsung great player, not just in basketball history, but in sports Frank, history. Frank, he's got more rings and more MVPs than any of the guys we put in that conversation. He's got more than Michael. Well, if Michael. you combine them, because it's six and six, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and then you think about his high school career and his college career. Yeah, he's the greatest. Three and three there. But the, the, the issue is because, A, um, he was seven feet tall, so he, the dunking wasn't something as exciting to him as it is to people we watch that are under, you know, six under seven feet. The sky hook, two things I'm amazed that people don't try and pattern themselves after: the sky hook and Rick Barry's underhand free throw shooting. Yeah, I mean the two greatest of their game. And nobody tries to emulate that. And it's not like Barry hasn't tried to help people. He's tried to. Well, yeah. but, you know, Barry's not the easiest person <laughs> right. to get. Let me tell you a great story about Barry. Rob Fisher. You know Rob Fisher. Oh, yeah. Uh, great sideline reporter for the Memphis Grizzlies. We're in a golf tournament, and there's this, this tee box, 
and there's and it basically you got one going left, one going right, and they're really right next to each other. Was this the one in St. Louis when yes. Barry played in the professional athletes? Right, group? Yeah. exactly. So Barry is in our group and he's late. And Fish, who was just starting to play golf, he hit a ball in the next county. I've never seen a guy, you know, who in his first time around hit a ball that far. And Rick Barry pulls up on the golf cart and he says, did you hit that ball? And he said, yeah. And, you know, Fish was really proud of him. He said, that's a really good shot. He said, but you hit it in the wrong fairway. <laughs> and, just, and just reached in his bag and pulled his club out and basically just pissed all over Rob. And Rob was, like, demoralized after that. I mean, he was terrible for the rest of the day. And I've talked to him a few times after that. He's a nice person, but it's just hard for him to get to first base with yeah. people. It's like I think Dr. J said this about him, that it's one thing to not be liked. It's another thing to be hated. Well, and I'll tell you this. Um, he's one of the greatest that nobody ever talks about. Another one, yeah. I mean, Only man that lead the right country there. in scoring in basketball, led the ABA in scoring and the NBA in scoring. That'll never happen again. And when you talk about one of the 50 greatest. Um, oh, he's there for sure. Yeah, he's there. And and he's a guy that when you talk about your all-time teams, nobody ever puts him yeah. on. Yeah. Who, who, who had a better run in 75 than that Warriors team with Jamal Incredible. Wilkes? Incredible. Oh, Jamal God. Wilkes. Clifford Ray. Cliff, Clifford Ray. George Johnson. Uh, Dudley. Yeah. And who else did they have on? Was Butch Baird on that team? He was. Yeah. yeah Butch Baird was on starter, the team. But yeah. But they were loaded. They had Al Addles. They beat the Bulls when the Bulls were huge were, favorites yeah, with Chet were. Walker and Bob Love. And, you know, Al Addles. The deepest voice in the history of the world, who apparently was one of the greatest defenders because he was his voice was so deep, his hands were so big, and back then they could hand check. And they said guys would literally come back in the locker room like with bruised ribs because not because he was hitting them, but because he was grabbing them. I mean, he was so physically fit. And if a fight broke out, that's the last yeah. guy you want to latch up. What fight? Yeah, Remember somebody he... beat up Barry, yeah. and then Alice came out, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to. Th oh, you know who it was? It was uh, Kevin Greavy it, with the with the uh, Washington Washington, uh, yes. Washington Bullets in yeah. the playoffs because Barry was killing. Him. Exactly, Barry was killing him, and Greavy had enough of yeah. him. And then Al Adams grabbed a hold to him, and Greavy realized, man, what a mistake! You I You know, made. every one of these uh, podcasts we'll do will end up talking NBA in the seventies. <laughs> At the end of every one, and, we won't stop talking. And, and the other thing we'll do, and we did the numbers game today. Well, we just threw out numbers of athletes. Bob Rowe? 75. Don Brum. Gosh. 86. 86. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Rowland. 23. Walker Gillette. 84. Oh, that's good. Very Ike good. Harris. Uh, Same. 84. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Tight end. Yeah. Tilly. 83. Banks. 51. That's good. You got any? Uh, that does, that's, that's as far as you can go? Oh, you can throw up something. All here. right. Uh, let's we're, see. We're, all, we're kind of in that <laughs> 70s Big Red. Well, that was our team, though. We yeah. grew up with the Big Red. Um, well, you know, Walker Gillette, that's a very good call. Most, yeah. and he was a good player. Oh, he was. He was a good player. I gave you one a day that you didn't come. Was this, yeah. I gave was this, no, Bobby, Bobby Joe Conrad. Which was 40. 40. Yeah. Uh, was Pat Fisher 37 here? 37 here, yeah. Uh, and in Washington. You know, I heard somebody talking about Pat Fisher. You know, I talked to Jim Brown one day. You know, he, he, he hit Jim Brown one time. Knocked him head over tea kettle. Didn't it, Mel Gray say that was the toughest guy? Yeah, he was. Been? Yeah, they. I mean, but you have to remember back then, it you was a fist fight him. right off the yeah. line of scrimmage. I mean, you could literally physically assault a guy, and the receivers would give it back to the the cornerbacks. But Pat Fisher might have been five seven, 
And the story is Jim Brown rolled around on a sweep, man, and Pat Fisher grabbed some grass and held on and hit Jim Brown, and Jim Brown fled with head over tea kettle, and he got up and was looking, who the hell was that? And it was Pat Fisher, who was as tough as barbed wire. Speaking of Mel, when you come up with your all-time greatest St. Louis wide receivers and you have to take two, I love Troy Holt, but I'm sorry. It's, it's Isaac it's and Isaac Mel Bruce Gray. And Mel Gray. There's Absolutely, no doubt yeah. about it. I asked Jim Hannafin this question. I told Ike Bruce this the other day. Oh, Hannafin hedges on these, though. Well, I told him, I said, if Isaac Bruce... No, you know what? Wait a minute. Roy Green's got to be in that count. I got to go Ooh. three. I got to go three receivers with Otis <laughs> well, everybody Anderson. Everybody else does. Yeah, I got to go three receivers with Otis Anderson in the backfield. Right. You going three receivers and Torrey Holt's going to the Hall of Fame probably in two years <laughs> and he's not on the team. <laughs> and you know, I, I got to have Otis Anderson on my team too. Oh my gosh! Uh, Remember that first game against Cowboys? Yeah, okay, it was hundred ninety one. Yeah, and then he had another one for he gave somebody one hundred eighty seven one time. He was fast here. Remember in New York? He, he just ran over guys. Yeah, yeah he Bill was more Parcells. of like a fullback. Yeah. But in college, he returned kickoffs. Greatest football Cardinal game you ever saw? Oh, um, <clears throat> God. I was going to the worst one, that Neil O'Donohue missing the field goals. But that was the greatest game, the one against the Redskins. Remember the Mel Gray catch? The No, 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 the one in Washington. I'll tell you what it is. It's 38-0, Monday night TV. They beat the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Johnny Rowland returned a punt. And Meredith is crying. I always think about the game. They lost against the Redskins. O'Donohue missed the field goal. But that was when Neil Neil Lomax and Roy Green – Roy Green had like 179 yards in receiving against Daryl Green, who was the number one cornerback in the league. Well, if you're laying it on Daryl Green, that's pretty good. Okay, my last story, and then we're going to get out of here. Roy Green. And so Bill Parcells is over here at uh, Roger Dean. This is like years ago, three years ago. And so we're sitting there talking about the Cardinals. And he said, boy, that Roy Green, he was a handful. He said, you know, he was a real pain in the ass. So we keep talking. So he says, I'm going to tell you a story about that son of a bitch. He says, he comes out in the warm-ups and he says, Hey coach, what you got what you got for me today? He says, <laughs> he says, he says to Roy, he said, We're gonna double your ass all day. And Roy just shakes his head and said, Not gonna be enough. He had like 165 yards in receiving. So Parcells is so worked up. He said, You got his phone number? I want to talk to him right now. So I say, Yeah, here it is. We call him. And so Roy, it goes on his voice where he says, Hey Roy Green, this is Parcells. He said, I'm calling you to tell you you're still a pain in the ass. And then he hangs <laughs> up on him. I mean, he he the, that that rivalry. Oh, you know, but I said, you know, you you had some pretty good teams. He said, Well, I had a pretty good guy in Taylor who changed the game in the NFC. And here's why. Remember, the NFC was a power conference because nobody could block Taylor by himself. That's why you had to put a tight end on that side of the field. That's why you had to make sure you got athletic offensive uh, offensive tackles like a Louis Sharp and guys like oh, yeah. that with good footwork because Taylor would annihilate just that big fat slob tackle that was standing yeah, out there. Good point. All right, we're out of time, man. This has been fun. We're yeah. gonna do more of these. He's Frank. I'm Mike. Next time, you can email us some questions, and we'll shoot the breeze with that as well because we don't take phone calls on podcasts. Thank goodness. <laughs> for Frank, I'm Mike. We thank you for listening. Hey, Mike Claiborne here. And by the way, thanks for listening to ClavesOnline.com. Before we go any further, coming up next, I want to introduce you to one of my friends from Ameren, Illinois. He's the vice president of gas operations. He is Eric Kozak. That's right. They're not just an electric company. They're also a gas delivery provider. Now, when you talk about 
smelling and locating gas and the potential for you to have a problem. What are some of the problems and some of the issues a customer could have aside from as the eventual, perhaps an explosion of some sort. So what are some of the other concerns you try and maintain? Yeah, so our number one concern is uh, calling 811 before you dig. 811 is a national number. People will come out and they will mark the lines for you and let you know where your gas service is. So if you're putting in a basketball hoop or you're putting in a bush, call 811. Because if you don't call 811, you might have to call 911. <laughs> and we want to prevent that call. So that's the main issue is people calling 811 before you dig so you know where the pipelines are in the ground. Is there a charge for that? There's no charge for 811. <laughs> in a situation where you're going to do some work, as you mentioned, how deep do you have to go before you would hit a gas line? You know, I if you're sticking in a shovel in the ground, you should call 811. You know, we don't, uh, you know, we put our uh, pipes in, you know, 24 inches for service and 30 inches, but landscape change over time. You know, different things happen. You don't know what the previous homeowner did. He might have took a bunch of dirt off. So if you're going to stick a shovel in the ground, you need to call 811 before you dig. And I just want people to know that, you know, natural gas is a clean, reliable, safe fuel. But like any source of energy, it can be dangerous. So if you do smell gas, you know, pick up the phone and call us. We respond 24-7, seven days a week, no charge, ever. And we respond on average within 22 minutes. Over 33,000 calls a year we get, and our average response time is around 22 minutes. And I think that's pretty good. I think it's impressive. So that's, that's the main thing is. And have your equipment checked out. And it's a wonderful product you can use for many, many years worry-free.